2: Sports talk, hot takes,
0: and all of the bangers. Lindsey Brown and Adrian Hernandez, the Playmakers.
3: A little bit of a rough re-entry into the atmosphere, but guess what? We are in the clear. We are in smooth sailing once again. And uh, we're back. The Playmakers, a Tuesday edition going up. On a Tuesday, the 7th of June, Lindsey Brown and Adrian Hernandez hanging with you guys here until 5 p.m., you lucky ducks.
1: Damn straight, although we should say as we start off the show, Uh-oh. we're going to be here on the radio, 1140 The Bet, till 4 p.m. Yep. Dodgers, big road trip, taking on the White Sox. Tim Anderson not playing for the White Sox. The uh, pregame coverage in the game starts at 4 p.m. with your pregame coverage. So we are still doing a two-hour show. Yes. But at 4 p.m., just head over to that Odyssey app for uh, all the sports taking goodness.
3: That's right. Because if you're still listening on the terrestrial radio at that point, you'll switch over to the baseball stuff. And we get it. Maybe you have to watch that like in or listen to that in the moment, and you can just return to us later on in that Odyssey app that also has everything that's podcastable. And we're cutting up our our, our content in different ways, different slices. And so even if you don't catch a full hour, maybe it's 60 seconds, maybe it's one segment. I don't know. It's your buffet. We no, just, 100%, we just stock it.
1: I even saw you on Reddit. Did, Someone took your what? quote on Reddit on the VGK. Are you
3: for real? Yeah,
1: some of your your Bruce Cassidy take about him maybe being with the was Golden Knights. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> I want to get into the weeds, but you're out you there in the internet. There. Yeah, all these different slices of content. We're 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 getting out in these streets, Lindsay.
3: We are, and there's a lot of people uh, being shown the streets and and some walking <laughs> papers. To be totally honest, right? I mean, Bruce was the the ship that launched a thousand more, and now we have. More of those updates, i will wrap up our show in probably a couple hours. But in terms of what to expect today, Trista Crick uh, here to talk to us about not just basketball, but the the golf controversy, at least in the in the men's professional golf world. We even got a little bit of baseball talk thrown in there. Uh, we'll talk about narrative shapers because sports media ain't the same as it used to be, guys. And neither are the stories that we tell and how they're formulated and where it's coming from. So we're just going to kind of have an expansive conversation on that, see where that goes. And then our first hour here, what do we do on Tuesdays? Two Americas. Two
1: damn Americas.
3: Next segment, Uh, sex and gender heavy. We're going to keep those as as basically the same thing, even though they're not the same thing, but that's why we're going to have a discussion about the eternal war with white masculinity. That will be in just a few minutes. we got a millennials gone wild. To wrap up this hour, like I said, it is a far-reaching, eclectic mix here on the Playmakers. Um, but in terms of what to get into right now, well, that's the hockey talking.
0: It's time for the can opener.
3: <sighs> like I said, eclectic mix, hockey to two Americas, to...
1: Disney adults Zillennial, going crazy. <laughs>
3: Zillennial gone wild, for sure. But last night, your. Adopted Colorado Avalanche. Swept the Edmonton Oilers. Guys, they're not in our division anymore. So technically, they slayed uh, uh, the last remaining member of the Pacific Division. The Oilers just didn't have enough in the tank. Leon Dreisaitl's ankle, while he did his best to to hold that team on, it was a, a very spirited game, 5-4 to four in overtime. Lots of back and forth, especially through the second and third period. But um, Nathan McKinnon, Putting the team on his back, I think he scored the equalizing goal at, towards the back half of the third period, and you could just tell that he's on a mission. This team is is on a mission, and after that first game where they almost blew that, what was it like a four goal lead or something like that? Yeah, they won they, like nine, eight to six or yeah, something the, like the, that. The fourteen
1: goal classic.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, they had the fear of God scared into them, and you realize we can't let these let the Oilers get going. We cannot allow them to have a full head of steam to play offense, and so they just really took it upon themselves to disrupt pucks, to step into in those neutral zones, and sometimes it wasn't enough. But it was uh, Oilers were just straight up too hobbled. Not to mention you had a Vander Kane out of the lineup, and you know.
1: Was, Mike Smith did
3: not play well last night
1: it was it was tough to see Leon kind of out there hobbling, especially after that hit and his glove came off. Yeah, uh, it was difficult to see and I was kind of upset a w three people had his jersey. So, Leon, oh, fever. Oh, really? So, it's kind of room for the Oilers. I like their colorway. A lot color of Germans in AEW? Apparently. Yeah, so well, So, he's... just for clarification. So, this VGK avalanche beef doesn't have to be, or it can be lessened. It's cause... not
3: really a beef. It's just like we've, we ran into them in the playoffs last year, and they were technically in our division last year, and we're two teams that technically, you know, are championship contenders, except not us this year.
1: <laughs> facts. What do we do We're with We're like the Mc- San
3: Jose Sharks. Well, we are like what the San Jose Sharks turned into to us, but to the Colorado Avalanche. Doesn't that feel oh, nice?
1: Oh, they hate. They don't like us very much. No,
3: they don't. And there was a very bad descent into uh, ineptitude for the San Jose Sharks unless uh, better decisions are made. No, facts. AMCC. That's why
1: That's why our friend of the show, A.J. Perez, is always like, fine, I'll come on talk to Las Vegas. But I do want to ask you about the Oilers, uh, and it start off with, Connor McDavid, so he ends the 2022 playoffs with 13 points in 16 games. Uh, that's better than two per game. That's very impressive. Uh, how did this performance rank him in terms of, like, being the best in the game and how he's going to be viewed?
3: Well, the view isn't the isn't going to change. Like, everybody knows how special he is, It's but he's one guy, and that's not enough in hockey. That's not enough in most sports, but it's not enough in, in hockey, especially when you have – um, not just the the scoring talent of of Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Langascog and and, and, and Miko Rontanen. This is about number eight, people. Uh, this is a vocal medium. And so if you're listening to us on the radio, you're not seeing that I am yet again wearing my Kale McCarr jersey backwards <laughs> out of respect. Because this dude is something different. There, there's a reason why Connor McDavid was so bottled up and it's not just kale McCarr it's number eight and it's number seven but it's mostly number eight because number eight the skating he's one of the only individuals I think in the league that can keep up with him or at least keep the play in front like I was kind of highlighting it last week because it's about getting people and pucks into areas that are less dangerous than others or thwarting them before they get into their extra dangerous spots where it becomes a problem for you and and just the way that kale McCarr attacks his gaps and, and, and keeps the best players in the world from having any sort of daylight. And he just like casually like, oh, I'll just like take this and then I'll just you know pass it up through the neutral zone. That's the stuff where we talk about the little things, the, the stuff that you can't really quantify because how many rushes or, or little mini turnovers don't technically get put in that box score because technically it doesn't fit the criteria of the guy who's in the box watching it where it's just like without this decision – three seconds ago, the one here wouldn't be here. And then they made an additional unbelievable decision in the actual moment itself. Kel McCard, five points last night. He is my leader in the clubhouse for Con Smythe trophy watch which would go out go to the most outstanding player in the playoffs because there's so many people when I was thinking about like well who's gonna be on the avalanche like who's it gonna be McKinnon's not scoring enough goals to be to to have like that overwhelming presence the offense has been spread out uh, across pretty much all of the groups and goaltending hasn't been a consistent thing or at least hasn't been the the theme that it usually is in terms of being the brick wall it's been Kale McCarr and even Wayne Gratzky Wayne Gratzky himself he says the only comparable that I can think of it's Bobby Orr.
1: That's good. The,
3: the highest of <laughs> praise. Literally, the, the highest of praise. We've all seen the trophy outside of TD Garden in Boston, right? Yeah. So where Bruce Cassidy used to work, no longer. But this guy has five points, and through this playoff, he has 22. Five goals, 17 assists. But here's the stat that isn't the most deep of, of dives, but will illustrate, I think, a huge um, point of why he is so special. And there's this percentage called shots through percentage. I'm just on hockeyreference.com looking at his NHL playoff extra stats. In his first handful of seasons when they were playing in the playoffs, he was getting around 32-33% of pucks through when he's taking shots from the point, right? That means where, where the puck actually gets to the shot on net not getting blocked down, not getting diverted, yeah. like it's a ra- it's a very rare skill. And it a lot of it has to do with your patience. A lot of it has to do with your vision, and then you have to have the physical abilities to actually execute it and the creativity. Most people don't have all of those. Nathan McKinnon has all of those, but Kale McCarr does have those. And in this playoff, this season, shot through percentage, 48.6. 50% of his shots, damn near, are finding a way to the net minor. That means more rebounds. That means more scoring opportunities. And that means he's not putting them into the shin pads either. That means he's cutting down on opportunities for the puck to get turned over and disrupted in the high zone, which is a really big point of contention for this team considering how much they like to base their offense out of the top of the zone. And in terms of like the difference between that and 82-game average, his career is 39.1%. He's operating 10, 10 percentage points high or whatever the math is of getting pucks through and just think what that means of somebody that whose mind is processing that in the most high of stakes moments against the the competition where everything is on the line.
1: 23 years old, 23
3: years old. (laughs) It's crazy. 23 freaking years old. And that's why it's, it's, it's so wild of just like how things fall and how random life is because this guy was like a fourth or fifth overall pick and they didn't anticipate him falling to them. And so, like, the Avalanche, for, for all the greatness that they've been kind of building over the course of these last 10 years or so, I don't think anything truly takes the step further than what them, being what they were probably five, six years ago when they were losing to the Minnesota Wilds in the first round without Kale McCarr. Because when you add a defenseman in like that and you only have six defensemen usually on, uh, in terms of your defensive core available versus forwards, that's, what, 12 just think of what that impact and I'm going to play he's going to p- play damn near 30 minutes a night and you have the New York Islanders making one of the the, the dumbest moves of all time trading Devin Taves for like a bag of pucks basically at, at this point and giving him a defensive partner that is steady that can enable and can bring a different la- layer to the game himself. Like he's not just like a guy who's going to stay at home and be able to n- be able to just say, you go off and do whatever you want, Kale. Like he's going to get stuff done for you too. And that pushes down the Eric Johnson's that, that gives Bowen Byram some re- some breathing room to develop and, and to get his feet wet. But in terms of just like how big of a accomplishment this is for these guys, hockey is an extremely superstitious and, and spiritual sport. Maybe we talk about it all the time last night. There's this guy on uh, on Twitter. Hold on, I gotta make sure I get his name. Nathan Rudolph on Twitter. He came up. He made a, like basically a lip reading video of a conversation that was going on between all of those guys on the ice after the game was won in overtime of like whether or not we're gonna touch the Clarence Cup, which is the the trophy they <laughs> yeah. give to the Western Conference winners. Because you like some people touch and some people don't. They think it's bad luck. And so I figured we have to provide the audio because it's just too damn good.
4: All right, let's do a little lip read on the ABS. Will they, won't they touch the Clarence Cup conversation? You start with Mac here, and he says, man, I didn't know that. The is Landon going to touch it or what? Then you jump over to Miko. Miko asks, is he going to touch it? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going on right here. You cut to a group of guys talking about it now. You have Mac in front. You have Taves to the side, and you'll have EJ coming in later. Eric Johnson. Mac says, I'm going to. He thinks he's going to touch it. And Taze over here goes, yeah, I'd touch it. That's a big one, man. EJ over at the top, we're going to have to wind this back because they're all talking at the same time. But EJ, he's up here. He's shaking his head. He says, no way. I'm not going to do it. I'm not touching it, man. And finally, everyone's head turns because Joe Sackick is walking down the hallway. And so everyone's like, all right, let's go ask Joe Sackick what he would do. And you can't see a ton of it here. We'll Back it up. Run it back one more time. You can't see a ton of it here, but it looks like he says, go for it at the start. EJ blocks it out, and at the very end, he says, touch the damn thing. And for reference, here is Joe Sackick very much touching the damn thing back in the day.
3: (laughs) Eric Johnson really holding up for the Minnesota Proud of being, I'm not touching that damn thing no effing way. So superstitious, so spot on, but um it's a
1: real thing
3: oh it's absolutely a real thing and if they lose the people will say it's because they touched the trophy 100 percent. i just find it funny because if you watch back the video and you see everybody like literally turn towards joe sack it's like joe he will tell us the answers we must know because he's one of the most legendary players of all time and obviously their gm as well but it's a huge accomplishment to to make it to the stanley cup final regardless of the result and Granted, if they don't get the result that they want in the next round, it's not going to be very happy of a, of a celebration because nobody wants to celebrate second place. But, I mean, what for, for this team to finally be at the doorstep of what they've been talking about and building for for years, it, there are different ways to build a championship team in different roads. There's has been a little bit more – a longer one, a more comprehensive one, but it still works.
1: No, 100%. It's, it's kind of like the Celtics where it took mm-hmm. all these years – to finally cuz what this is Colorado's first time in the uh the Stanley Cup final since I believe 2001, 2001 right when they when beat they last the last one yeah and, and and to put put things in perspective too just in game 4 uh the az became the fourth team in NHL history to erase a multi-goal third period deficit um to advance to the final and I do want to ask you so now with them being in the finals and they have to wait for the rangers and lightning they could have as many as 12 days off before game 1 how huge of a, of a thing, is that is that going to make them a little complacent or is this good to rest up and wait to see what their well, opponent think, is? I,
3: I think it's definitely a, a factor. I mean, we saw Tampa Bay get absolutely smacked in the mouth after they swept their last round and then now they're playing the Rangers and it's put them in a hole, you know. And so um, 12 days is a long time and you can't control that. You just probably just go to the rink and you just keep up with your routine. But, you know, nothing's going to be able to replicate game speed besides the game itself, like in actual game time, not practice, not anything else. But, you know, these guys are such creatures of habits. So you just kind of keep going through your routines and hope that you stay sharp and that you're not, you know, building the moment up too big before you actually get there that for when you do get there that you can't manage it. Because this is, you know, this is dream stuff just getting there. Like that's Eric Johnson said it himself. He's like, this is literally a childhood dream getting getting a chance to play for the Stanley Cup. No, and so it- it, you can easily kind of – sit there and every day put a little bit more oxygen in that balloon of just, like, how big of an opportunity this is, and all of a sudden you're like, am I ready for this? You know?
1: And I think Darcy Kemper can kind of heal up. One thing I did want to ask you, and I was very happy because this, this is a goalie question, mm. and there's no one better in the country on the radio to ask than you, Lindsay. So, That's Mike Smith. Yeah. I need to know what the idea was when I watched him have the puck, and he basically went to the left side of the ice against the boards, and kind of kicked it out and passed it. And then he had to rush back. And I th- and I believe that's what led to the Avalanche getting their third goal. Like what's what's the idea with that?
3: Well, the idea of goalies getting involved with the play behind the net is to basically expedite your breakouts and, and to not get trapped down. Like that's one of the really underutilized skills I think for a lot of net miners that you know, that trapezoid behind the ice was meant to put them in a cage because Marty Broder was so good at that. And so now goalies have had a little bit of time to develop skills within that particular arena, and you see, like Igor Shosturkin, I've seen him with at least two passes this year that I would say that's the greatest pass I've ever seen a netminder make in my life, and it's like all the way down. And just like what that adds, like when you when you don't have to have your defenseman be, you always have to go back down. You always have to take a hit to make a play here, and and just. How that can get your offense going, how that can save your legs, especially in in long change situations, be that in the second period or be that in overtime. But sometimes you misplay it, it goes off the toe a little bit weird or you don't get all of the puck or you shoot it out of the out of the net and what are out of the arena and it's a penalty. Um, I hate it when people are like, go, cool, I should just stay in the net. they just keep making mistakes. There are so many instances where not, where it goes completely to plan and that so much of the game is contingent on that going to plan that for you to say don't do that anymore it completely erodes away half of the stuff like you can't you can't, don't shoot forehand okay don't don't stick handle this way okay
1: yeah it's, it's part of
3: the game mistakes yeah. will be made that's how it works
1: well, to me, it was so bold because there was a lot of players on the ice for either team. Like near, it wasn't like they were on the other side. Right.
3: Well, and that's the sometimes when you have four checkers coming at you, you can oh, I don't know what to do, and I, I make a, an ill-advised pass. Or sometimes when there's not enough people coming around you, I go, oh, I got some time. And then that's where you kind of see oh, I, I miss it or I put it off the wrong spot. But Mike Smith was definitely riding the goalie struggle bus last night, and um, for sure has has a lot to reflect upon, especially as a man who's you know 40 years old, one of the best goalies of his generation. But um, certainly didn't answer the bell, I think, as quickly as that team would have hoped. But then again, it's about the practice in front of you. The netminders can only do with, uh, with, with what they can. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of goal support for them.
1: No, 100%. At,
3: at certain points. And so I just think the Oilers are a team that caught lightning in a bottle and have some very obvious, nice pieces, but are definitely not the most well constructed team. To, to make a run. And so I, I think ultimately that the right team won out and uh, the, the Colorado Avalanche await the winners of the Rangers and Lightning Series. That series continues tonight, Game 4. Um, in Tampa Bay, New York leads the series 2-1 to one, uh, with a chance to go back to eliminate, if they win tonight, the Tampa Bay Lightning on their home ice in just a couple days. But it is time to stop talking about hockey and start talking about the world around us, two Americas on its way. 11 for the bet. Hey,
2: ring the
1: alarm. Hey, whoa. Ring the alarm. And not a sound is dying.
0: It's time for the can opener. Lindsey Brown and Adrian Hernandez, the playmakers exclusively on 1140 The Bet.
3: Music is so fun because you can be like in a vibe and you're like, oh, it's chill, we're on some water, we're just having a time. But you like listen to the actual lyrics. Sometimes you're like, oh my God. What are they saying? Like, there's a, there's a hidden meaning here. Like, the hit me baby one more time, Britney Spears. I may listen closely to that, right?
1: Or the, uh, all the kids with the grown up kids. Pumped kicks. up kids, yep. yeah. It's about
3: school shootings and stuff. Like, yeah. It's, uh, it's a little bit weird, but that just shows you, like, how intentional you have to be with how you take in the world and how you talk about the world. And I got to admit, I'm a little nervous talking about this because it's not just, like, the subject, but I know that I- I'm, I've spent a lot of time studying this subject, and that I feel that I, I just have a little bit of a responsibility to, to not just talk about this, but to do it in a in a responsible manner and, and hopefully a coherent manner. Because on Tuesdays we like to illustrate, um, you know, the the multi intersectionality spectrum that Adrian and I kind of inhibit as people, and and by bringing that together in our Two Americas segment, um, and today we're going to be talking about sex and gender and those are two different things that have two different definitions and if you have to take the time still to figure out what each of them means and what differentiates them that's to that's a project for you on your own time because there's a lot going on in this world right now we got the hearings on the january 6th insurrection we have you know shooting uh victims and those affected by uh gun violence testifying in front of congress and we know a few weeks ago, we got a shot across the bow and that's a terrible metaphor for me to use right now, but in terms of, of Roe v. Wade being appealed and that's just simply a warning. It's coming. They're gonna take it down. And all of this is connected, Adrian. Like all of this, I think a lot for for how much strife we have in this country and, and, and for how much, um, how many problems, so much of it I think has to talk about or has to do with sex and gender. And I want to talk about it in terms of an article that I read by one of my, um, I won't say a hero, but somebody that've I've, I've studied for a long time, Jackson Katz, who is an educator at Northeastern University. I was first came to uh, uh, know about his work when I was in college. I was a communications major in sociology and gender studies minors. And I remember watching in one of my social classes one of his uh, award winning films, It was Tough Guys, and it was about toxic masculinity and, and just this, this mindset, this default mindset that this country has that so many individuals employ because they're not, this is just how we're supposed to act, this is how we're taught. And what he did is he wrote an article uh, for, for Ms. Magazine, which is about as prolific as it gets for, for women's rights. Um, that was released earlier this year on the 5th of January, so the one-year anniversary of, of the insurrection, and just kind of breaks it down based off of, of of what he sees as an expert. Again, he's a cultural theorist who is internationally renowned for his pioneering scholarship and activism on I- issues, j- race, gender, violence, um, co-founded the Mentors in Violence Prevention Program. Um, he's one of the, the main voices for this. And I, I just want to read some excerpts of, of this article that's titled White Masculinity in the January 6th Insurrection. Because there's, there's been studies on this. And if you're watching the proceedings, good for you. I'm, I don't need to watch them to know what happened on that day. I was here at work. And then we, as I was watching it happen, I decided that we, or I talked to Paul, who was here at the time, like, I don't think we should do a show today. Because I, we all know what was going on. Of those arrested and charged with committing crimes at the Capitol, Ninety-three percent of them were white, eighty-six percent of them were men, and we don't really talk about that. Like we we say that that's like a very unremarkable stat, but that's about as as cut and dry of exactly who is going, who is there, what type of people, and what type of messaging is eliciting behavior from these types of people. And I'm not here to point fingers at former leaders, and, and that's that's what the 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 Congress and all those those proceedings are for It's not my job, at least right now. But when you have rhetoric that is, quote, uh, um, that recognized Donald Trump early as a patriarch who could block feminist plans to undo 10,000 10, years of recorded history by advocating for gender equality, to incite people with, with messaging that has men seeing themselves primarily as protectors and defenders and, and the ones who must respond most eagerly to please uh, for them to help rescue their country through violence, violent means if necessary, right? Because these people, when you you have something that inspiring, you do something that disruptive, that dangerous, it's for a cause, right? Otherwise, if it's just for something you don't really care about, you don't go, right? That's not something you don't don't believe in.
1: Yeah, you don't get this involved and, and go to those lengths.
3: And what I think has happened is that this, this white masculinity, this toxic white masculinity and this overall feeling that they are not only in control, but they are entitled to have it. They are entitled to those freedoms and that other people's freedoms need to bow at the wayside so theirs can still be around. And so for me, or for Jackson, he says... It is also impossible to understand the reasons why January 6th happened without understanding the ways in which Trumpism is rooted in the aggrieved entitlement of millions of white men who are enraged at the loss of their, control, or of their cultural centrality, both as white people and as men. It is equally important to understand political violence in this context, not as a spontaneous eruption, but as a planned strategy for taking back control. In this way, the feminist-led movement against domestic violence over the last past half century has much to teach us. In heterosexual relationships, men's use of violence is not as much impulsive as it is rooted in a belief system in which their needs come first. They use force or the threat of it to gain or maintain a woman's compliance or to punish her for transgressing against authority. Your thoughts so far?
1: (laughs) My thoughts are that... When, when, you, when you bring up, like, why don't we talk about this, I think it's, it's not, you know, the winners rewrite history. It's that they were here first, so they have the control. Like, like for radio, for instance, when you look at AM radio, when you, when you look at the political landscape, like, there's one side that dominates it and that people listen to, mm-hmm. and that's the right side. When you look at television, for the most part, yes, there's CNN and and MSNBC and stuff. It's Fox News making the headlines. And so when they can have these media landscapes and and kind of push out their messaging, and it's always, for the most part, it's always a deflection of, well, this is what's causing it. It's that side or it's those sort of people.
3: Anything to avoid actual accountability.
1: No, it's... It's Literally. it's exactly it's exactly that, and it's just uh it, it, it's a very it it's a very difficult difficult thing, and, and it in some ways it kind of just like we're talking about what happened in Buffalo or in Texas. It's kind of like a a very hopeless
4: mm-hmm.
1: a, a hopeless feeling, and it,
4: because it's, at the
3: end of the day, when it comes to this this pushback, obviously women or people who identify as women are going to be at the at the forefront of this, the brunt of it. But it's not like men get out without any consequences. This puts you in a bad spot. Being, quote-unquote, pro-life, which is not what the definition means anymore, puts you guys in a bad spot. And that's why, again, there's even more articles written by Jackson Katz about how necessary it is for men and specifically white men to step up and fight for these rights because we can't be tasked for doing it all, our, all ourselves in women, but also... You guys are just as impacted. We're the ones that carry, but do you guys want to be settled down? Do you guys want the state to be able to come in and basically say, this is how you're going to live your life now?
1: No, we don't. No. We want and, and that's <laughs> it.
3: There's no laws talking about, uh, about ruling over men's bodies, but there's laws o- ruling over women's. And whether that's because they want to control us or they want to replenish the workforce from a male Eurocentric capitalist point of view, what, they're, they're trying to keep pe- people busy fighting against each other or fighting for something that is already inherently theirs. Like our freedom is inherently ours. The problem is that we have, pro- we have people in our government actively working against our interests. For profits, for companies, for for, uh, for ideal law, or I can't even pronounce the words that I want to say, for their cause. And they're willing to sacrifice for it. And that's what, what like you said, that hopelessness, that, that scariness. What does your part mean? Because it's different for everyone. Like for me, doing this show, I feel like it's helping me do part of my part. Because I know that tr- traditionally, there's not a lot of women in the, my position. Or a lot of, And so I, I need to, even the days that I don't want to be here or it's not going well, I'm like, that's where I live. This is my duty. I need to be here. I need to be representative. And I need to put my best foot forward. But it's different from everyone because it's an act of dismantling or unraveling of your own individualized misogyny because we all grow up in it. We all have this, like, in our head that certain people can do this and those others can't. Because they look this way. They have these parts. They love this way. And that's not true. It's all made up. Gender is all made up.
1: I, I will say... And we
3: base that, our reality on it.
1: <laughs> not, well, not only that, that the, this reality is kind of created. Like, for example, some of the language and some of the rhetoric that, that some sides like to use are very dangerous and volatile. So what happens? They get banned from Twitter, right? <laughs> Canceled. So now... They go directly, and and I've talked about this at length on this show, about it doesn't matter what you're into, sports, comic books, like you can follow Mm -hmm. and you can have your world set. So that's the only information that you're digesting and the only quote-unquote news. But now when they get blocked from these platforms, there's these websites, whether it's 4chan or 8chan or, or all these other sites that don't even, all those places, they can go there, they're a community. And look, let's be clear bringing up all these things like yo we are in a real life recession and life has been hard and it has been hard for a very very long time and nothing is better for people is they love to talk they love to talk about themselves and they love to have a woe is me attitude and when you can get into a community Mm -hmm. where we all think it's difficult we all think it's difficult but when you are provided all the excuses like someone right now could be listening be like shut up you got that job because you're Hispanic, or you got that position because you're a woman, and they're just trying to be different. This, that, and the yep. third, and it it just it's the scary thing of the loneliness that that can be created in in this world and in in this country, and the the fact that you can gravitate to something with with the ideals that are so so just worrisome and can cause so much chaos and, and try to take away and just think that you, you just brought it up and, and in the articles as well, like this entitlement, yep. that no, this this is mine. I was here first.
3: I deserve this. My parents had this. I they, So-and-so had this. I should have this if I worked hard. I should have this if somebody wronged me. Nobody owes you a damn thing. There are plenty of individuals that never got the absolute privilege to – get married and have their own kids even though they really wanted to because guess what it wasn't in the cards they were a-holes they didn't look good like life isn't fair but we have subsets of our of our society that think life isn't fair so that means i need to rectify that by making sure it's more unfair for everyone else right and so again nobody owes you jack squat no matter what you look like or who you are but how do you view women how do you treat women do you see them as a full person? Because if you're, if you're struggling with like, oh, am I, am I pro-life or am I pro-choice or is Roe v. Wade a good or bad? Do you feel people have the right to make their own decision of what goes into their body or what happens to their body? Because if you say no, then you don't view that individual as a full person, as a human being worthy of rights of respect and everything else. And I bet you some people say, that's exactly what I think. But guess what? Just like there's supposed to be separation of church and state. It's not about you. But this is where the, the the toxic sludge and this is where I'm like, this is the dark place where a lot of these young men go when they think that the world's wrong them and that for their final for their final action, they're gonna take it out on on everybody else. Like we don't talk about the fact that so many of these school shooters are acting out. With same behaviors and 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 triggers that have shown deep misogynistic roots, and that's it, it affects all of us, and the consequences are absolutely devastating.
1: And they're all connected. Yep. Like you think you think they're going to take and away? Stro-
3: and people are trying to stroke the fire on these fumes to make people feel this way, to feel this upset, to feel emboldened, to take out on the world what they perceive the world has done to them
1: and and something that scares me and you bring up the school shooters uh well first and foremost if i'm being blatantly honest uh, i think we talked about it how where my son goes to school uh the security guard looked like a call of duty character Mm -hmm. all suited up got the vest got 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 the weaponry needed if something happens and then this week they upgraded it they got the uh the police scanner joint that you see in a lot of parking lots and then they got two police cars just waiting there and i was like this is the reality. And then as I'm doing my research. It's not
3: research, a solution. It's
1: business. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, 100%. I was like a whole new a whole new category of police officers. Hey, we want to hire you so that you can watch yeah. schools. Every school. Since did
3: such a good job.
1: Yeah. And then also there, there's this poll that uh, CBS CBS ran just asking questions uh, um, to people and, and living with mass shootings and being in the United States in this new reality. And it hurts me to realize that 44% of Republicans said, Mass shootings should be accepted as part of a free society. Exactly.
3: They think... That I'm willing to live with the consequences so I can have whatever I want.
1: Almost 50%, Linz. Mm-hmm. That it's okay. That we need to do this. this it's a reality. Hey, you go to the grocery what store. Can, what
3: can we do? There's nothing we could do. The only thing that could fix it is more of this product. Ongoing conversations. Two Americas. It's never truly done and... um. I don't know if there if there's answers out there but I think the answer is just the ongoing discussion and hopefully turning a couple of people's ears and heads into something that maybe they hadn't thought of before. Millennials has gone wild at least a different version of it.
1: internet uses during times of congestion.
3: Newsflash, we're screwed.
0: Adrian Hernandez and Lindsay Brown. The Playmakers, exclusively on 1140 The Bet.
3: There are very few things that the millennial generation. I remember we had to go to the whack. Don't forget about the whack part, but there are very few things that we love more than performative things. But maybe Disney, Disney and performative actions, probably towards the top of our most favorite things. Here we go. What? God, you love it. Whack! Whack! Did you see this video,
1: Lindsay? I'm being put in an uncomfortable position. Why? As a Disney dad, I feel like I have to stick up for these goofballs. Although yeah, this, you're one of them. Yeah. Although these are this, your people. This Disney proposal guy, I actually think he's a genius. But but what, what's going on with this?
3: What the proposal that the Disney like worker literally walked in the middle of and said, "Not right here, not right now."
1: Yeah. So again, I, I this happened Disneyland Paris. This guy wanted to do a proposal in front of the, uh, you know, the castle, the princess's tower. Yeah. And apparently what actually happened was is they have like a platform set up near the castle. And so that is what got the employee to be like, "Whoa, you guys need to get down there if you guys get hurt. Blah, 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 blah. So while this guy is saying, will you marry me, very my love? scary
3: <laughs> stairs there. Take your life in your own hands, guys. Safety check. <laughs> safety check.
1: I wonder in Europe if they're that litigious, if they sue over everything like we do over here. But he, in the middle, like a great cornerback, was on the hunt for that ball and took the ring out of his hands and said, no, 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 no. And apparently the protocol is, if you want to do something elaborate, at Disney with a proposal. Disney's fine with it, but you have to talk to them. Some say that you have to pay for the whole thing. We do. I don't know in my research, but I do know that they don't allow you to stand on platforms and such, but the backlash was humongous to the point that Disneyland had to apparently reach out to the guy and apologize and quote unquote offered to make it right. And this is why I think he's a genius he knows that you're not supposed to walk on that platform. Does he? And he should know that he's not I don't in the know. wrong. He looks
3: like a guy that struggles to know what t-shirt size to wear.
1: Oh uh, that's a—it's a little I'm tight. Offended. He's
3: a—he's in a medium. Where and you know what, like. <laughs> More power to you. I just, it seems restrictive. <laughs> on your what? On, on your proposal it's not, day. It's not because it doesn't look good. It just looks uncomfortable to me.
1: Yeah, and that's you know a big I mean? thing. Comfortability. But yeah. that's the thing I struggle with, making sure I got, you know, my belly. You know, it kind of shows. But anyway, back to this guy. The reason why I think he's a genius is, in terms of the rules, he, he's not in the, in the right. But that video makes him look like the, the Disney employee who did that. Looks like such an evil villain. I
3: hope they didn't fire him.
1: Yeah, I hope he doesn't get fired. But for then Disney to say, quote unquote, make it right. I can't even imagine what Disney just offered this dude because the video makes it look absolutely terrible. Yeah, that's like the
3: opposite of magic.
1: Heady play for the dude because I was like, yeah, force them to do something that looks crazy. Like having a Disney employee yell at your kid and getting it on video that's a I jackpot. Do th- I
3: feel like that would cause me to have like irreparable damage to my relationship with Disney. That even if they offered me like this huge wedding, I'd still be like, you guys, I, I, I can't take you seriously.
1: You, but if
3: you ruin the moment, like literally, you can't take that back. You can't.
1: But he, but he, to, to me, in my side, like my perspective is that. Yo, you couldn't do that, bro. Like, no one else is trying to do this. I know, but
3: it's a proposal. Just let it go. They're not supposed to be up there, but you just let it go because it's already happening. It's their moment. Just let it go. But
1: that's such and a terrible you, uh, president. Yeah,
3: well, that you know what? It, that, that's what happened. You don't, you don't interrupt a magical moment at the magic place. You don't.
1: Lindsay on the side of love. No, I
3: just, I, if it's already happening, let it happen.
1: I will say that so that was Disneyland Paris. I do know in California, like they, yeah, the French
3: don't like love now. What the hell?
1: <laughs> in, well, in, in California, no mas, okay. In California Adventure and in Disneyland, like they don't, they don't mind. Like you could do it wherever you want. Yeah. Yesterday, some dude did it by the bathroom. Jacoby showed me. I'm like, bro, what do you, what, what is this? What next to the of potties? The the potties at Disneyland. Crazy, but if you want to do something elaborate, you got to let them know, and they can set it up because they got photographers and stuff throughout because the they park. They
3: don't want to have; they want it to be a magical moment where they're involved with, it and that it's everything that you hope it to be. But that's even if it's not, you don't ruin other people's stuff, okay? <laughs> like you just you don't. I can't believe it, but like in a split second decision, I can understand. Like he's doing his job. That's why I hope he didn't get fired. But that's why their their policy
1: sucks. Did you see? i My favorite part is when he's walking down the steps. He he does the Dikembe like no 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 yeah. no 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 get, get your off, ass
3: down here get off the
1: stage ridiculous that's reserved for Chippendale thank you very much yeah we're about to do a parade and then th- these 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 weddings and these Disney adults freaking out yeah this
3: is a different it's one thing to get like proposed to at Disney it's another thing to have a wedding at Disney slash like honeymoons and stuff
1: so apparently at this wedding. Uh, This couple that obviously Disney is a huge part of their life was given a budget by their parents for assuming the parents assumed that it was catering. But instead, they used it to rent out Mickey and Minnie officially from Disney for 30 minutes so that they could be a part of the first dance and the wedding service. So aunt was pissed off and went to Facebook and was like, are you kidding me? No
3: food for anybody because we got to have Mickey and Minnie around to do a do do
1: Or the bar service. No bar service either. All you
3: get is one Mickey Mouse playhouse episode.
1: Yo, That's l- what you're
3: sacrificing it for. The
1: thing that is so confusing to me, speaking about two Americas, is getting a budget for a wedding. But no, the fact that like... You can just hire some dude, like you can rent out a Mickey or Minnie. Go to the strip and I say, "Hey, dude!" Yeah,
3: but those 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 suits are different because they they've literally made it their life's work to make sure people don't have like the, the legitimate suits. It kind of looks like Mickey, but if Mickey was strung out in like two packs of Marlboro and True. probably at least a, a tequila handle.
1: But there's someone at Comic Con that takes yeah. his Mickey oh, and Minnie yeah, cosplay yeah, yeah. seriously, For
3: sure. But then Disney takes them out back and probably has them taken care of, just like anything else.
1: Apparently, Lindsay, they spent almost twenty-eight cheese. You said that people were—they were
3: telling people whose costumes were too good that they made that they brought to the Disney park for them to leave because it made them look bad.
1: True, but this—I will say—this wedding was just—it was—it wasn't at Disney. It was somewhere else, and then they made them go over there. Why do you have Mickey and Minnie leaving Disneyland to go to your wedding in Wisconsin? And why are you oh, so passionate? Oh, it's in passionate?
3: Wisconsin, of course. <laughs> like, oh! Of course, hey, Yo, as
1: a Disney dad, your passion and is it take
5: weird. We a plane
3: train and automobile to get out here. We can't, there's it's not a direct flight to this particular part of Wisconsin. No wonder they want to go to the happiest place of all time because they live in a hellscape.
1: <laughs> Lindsay, we're in a recession and you spent 28 G's to make sure Mickey and Minnie were only there for 30 minutes in your pictures?
3: Mom, Mickey, drop that ass. You're in here just to look good. You gotta work for this.
1: Auntie was pissed off and rightfully <laughs> oh so. God.
3: Do you imagine having that conversation with anyone let alone your entire wedding registry yeah guys we're not eating because we're going to pay these two people to come to our wedding in mickey and Minnie suits i ain't going <laughs> we're not going anywhere wedding. unless you're going on that odyssey app playmakers plus more on the way I'm for the bet
0: how powerful is cox internet